Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 129 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Dr. Matt Lambert, the Chief Medical Officer at Curation Health. Let's not waste any time. Let's bring him on. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? Hey, Jared. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for us to chat. We had the opportunity to chat a little bit before we started this. So I'm excited to, you know, learn more about you and learn more about your role at uh, Curation Health. And I think we should start things off with, uh, you know, right out of the gate. If you could tell the audience a little bit about your background, I'd really appreciate it. Will do. Um, So my name is Matt Lambert. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Curation Health, based here in D.C., uh, practicing emergency medicine physician. Uh, if you throw in residency, I guess I've been doing that for about 24 years now. Still practice part-time. We always feel that, that with uh, Curation Health, we feel that still practicing at some level is important. Um, and, 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 uh, and so I'll continue with that. But um, about, uh, oh, whenever the meaningful use in the Affordable Care Act dropped. So I guess that's over a decade now. Uh, uh, came to town because there were so many opportunities to make sure that we had as much clinician influence in a lot of the changes that were coming in healthcare technology and healthcare reimbursement. And of course, DC was the natural place for that. Uh, and so Kevin was already here. Uh, Kevin Collison, our CEO, was already here. And, and we had a firm called Clinovations, uh, which helped health systems uh, select, uh, configure, and then drive value from their electronic health records. And we didn't know it at the time. We thought we were just helping that the 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 healthcare system kind of adopt a lot of the meaningful use things, but we didn't know that we were really uh, learning um, uh, when you have to, when you have to examine every process throughout the healthcare sphere, you, you learn a lot about operations while you're, while you're working on the technology. And so that just led to a lot of really uh, cool opportunities around the country, including being chief medical information officer for New York City Health and Hospitals, largest uh, public health system in the country, and they were going to Epic, and I had the pleasure to, to, to lead that group, uh, lead that effort. And then one of the things along the way that we did um, was came across early HCC calculator. Uh, it was a different instance of Epic and Cerner and other electronic health records. And it was a very good offering for us at Clinovations. Uh, so much so that the advisory board uh, acquired us, then went from the advisory board to Optum. And that's now the Optum tool, that, that HCC calculator that we worked on all those years ago. So when Kevin uh, stepped away and decided what was going to be the next step for value-based care, um, we came up with Curation Health. And Curation Health is really built on a lot of those lessons from, uh, from, from what we learned uh, in a decade in, in, the, in, the, um, in the risk space uh, and figuring out ways to, um, to get clinicians to act on it. Um, you know, we, 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 we say a lot uh, uh, at Curation Health, you can, it's not a data problem, it's a clinical workflow problem. And unless you can get quality information to the point of care with the providers, they're not going to act on it. Uh, and you're not going to perform quite as well as you could in this space. You're not going to, you're going to, you know, care gaps. Uh, you're not going to get the credit for the complexity that you're managing. And, and so we think that that's a very key way to value-based care. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so appreciate the intro. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that's a long way. That's a securest way to tell a background. But, no, uh, that was perfect. Yeah, that was, that was great. And uh, super helpful. And for the audience, um, for anyone that's listening, that's not aware you know, Kevin, who you referenced a couple of times, the, the CEO over there, he was on the podcast originally. So people can also go back. And I think listening to that episode and to, to this episode will really help give a full picture of Curation Health. But thank you for that intro. 
so one of the things I want to dive into, because I don't think it's talked about maybe that much and it differs based on the company and the situation. Can you tell us a little bit about your role in particular as chief medical officer, kind of what that looks like at Curation Health? Yeah, um, you know, anything at a, at a company of our uh, uh, maturation, you have to wear a lot of hats. And that's one of the, uh, you know, the really exciting things about that. Uh, so the, the, the first thing is um, the, the rules engine uh, or, or what analyzes a lot of the, the really droves of clinical data that a lot of it is meaningful. And a lot of it, the majority of it uh, is noise. Um, you know, all, half of all healthcare data is time date stamps. I mean, that's really not very useful healthcare data, right? Uh, but so, so we, so I helped uh, one, my first role at Curation Health when Kevin first started up was to work with a, another colleague of ours named Nick Redding and work on a rules engine, ways that we can ingest droves of healthcare data and then curate it or distill it down to something meaningful. And we do that through, uh, through, through a rules engine that, that we have uh, developed um, 750 uh, clinical algorithms thus far, uh, growing all the time, getting better all the time uh, to help distill that down to things that really map that have a value in, um, uh, in a value-based care world. So for instance, there are 65,000 ICD-10 codes. Um, uh, 9,500 of them actually mean something when you look at measuring cost and utilization within, within, and within uh, a, a value-based care plan. And, and, that, um, uh, and that changes every year, right? With, with the risk model what, that, comes out, that comes out from CMS. So we constantly shift and change the rules around that. And then we use that as a base for recapture. And then we look at that with other pieces of clinical data, uh, either in claims, either in lab values, in medication lists, or within the electronic health record, because uh, you know, we're uh, very comfortable with where data lays within electronic, electronic health records. And we look for things that help uh, uh, get more specific diagnoses or really follow the patient along their care journey. So for instance, last year I was di diagnosed with diabetes without complications. Uh, but we see now that you now have uh, a certain lab value that signals that you might have renal failure. We'll pull that together and, and present that as saying, is this a, a, di a diabetic complication? Because if it is, it needs to be treated a certain way. And it also needs to be captured a certain way to get credit for managing complications. So the first step, first step is managing the clinical rules, working with the team to, to manage the heart of the enterprise, which is, which is the algorithm. Uh, the second piece is, is, um, is making sure that so we've, we've gone to great lengths to make sure that information is, is sound, right? Uh, the next piece is to really focus on how do we get this integrated into the electronic health, health record? And again, leveraging, leveraging all those years uh, at the advisory board and clinicians, helping, um, helping providers adopt technology. We learned a lot of their tendencies. We learned a lot of the things that they might do. We learned what, what is reasonable to ask of, a, of an EMR, what is reasonable to ask of an IT shop. Um, and, and so we've learned ways to get that directly to the point of care. Uh, and then thirdly, which is also uh, tapping into my CMIO background, it's change management, right? Uh, you know, there's no substitute for uh, uh, some services around that uh, of listening to folks, uh, helping them and supporting them through change. You know, it, it's, you've been through the, so many large change initiatives over the year that, that you really kind of start to see a lot of patterns and behaviors around that. Uh, and, and, and BBC is no different. Um, than, than, than doing a large electronic health record implementation. You have to, you have to present the why, you have to, to make it so that it makes clinical sense to providers. Uh, and then you have to put a team around them to support them through the change. And then once, once you're two weeks, two months through that change process, you're not getting questions anymore. You start getting questions of why can it to why can't we do this? And that's when you know, that's when you know somebody's moved through their change process is when they're starting to ask for more. 
So, uh, so, so some of it is deeply technical, some of it's deeply clinical, and a lot of it is just change management. Interesting. Thank you for that that breakdown too of the role and and kind of everything it entails. And I know that's a tough question to answer because you know while you're not early stage, right? Like you're still in that period where you do wear so many different hats, right? Um, and it's actually probably the most fun part because you also end up learning so much. You end up understanding so many different parts of the business because you're doing all of these things, right? So that's cool. Yeah, and getting to watch the team grow, that's another exciting thing too. You know, getting getting to watch everyone acquire new skills and learn new things and, and, the, and the team grow. It's, uh, yeah, everything shaped together. That's, that's yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I know you and I talked about this and I wanna reference it. So for, for to let the audience know, you recently wrote an article and um, I, I want to talk more about it. Can you kind of give us, I guess, the, the summary of, of what it was what that article entailed? And I have it in front of me here. You were talking about it was on originally, is this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where it originally appeared. Uh, was it his talk? Readers write, without a subscription revenue model, hospitals and health systems will cease to exist. Correct. Yeah, that, that was the original article that came out on, on his talk, and it's made the rounds on some of the other, uh, maybe because of the title, uh, it's made some rounds on some of the other outlets and the other social media. You know, during, towards the end of last year, I started getting questions uh, either for, from webinars or other discussions around what is COVID going to do to the future of value-based care? And, uh, and somehow I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, and so, so I, I started thinking about that and, and that, was actually a, had a weekend off and I was um, um, just had some time to really kind of think through it uh, about what the COVID experience might um, how how that might accelerate value based care and you look at it you look through the payers uh, came out of or are emerging from 2020 you know we're we're still in the tail end of the pandemic here but at least through the through the year through, through the year 2020 payers came out pretty well positioned um, uh, in uh, to financially uh, and health systems came out of, uh, of last year really kind of struggling um, because of, you know, decreased volumes. Uh, the volumes, uh, you know, we canceled, uh, we canceled a lot of clinics and, did a, and made a really quick pivot to telehealth. We canceled a lot of elective procedures. And those are the two real lifebloods for, for a large health system, you know, your ambulatory revenue and your, and your, and your procedural revenue. Uh, but also folks have stayed away um, uh, from, from a lot of uh, care. And again, in my practice, emergency medicine, we haven't seen those numbers return to baseline just yet. Uh, and, so you had, and, and so you had one entity come out pretty well, and you had another entity come out not so well. And I, I thought, what is the difference? Uh, and the biggest difference is the subscription model. And, and maybe I spent too much time thinking about value-based care. Maybe I spent too much time around technology because you know most software companies want to uh, adopt a subscription model for revenue uh, you know, or, or a SaaS model, a monthly fee. Um, uh, uh, they found that to be the, the best source for their planning and for their growth and their development. The advisory board spent a lot of time there, uh, founded on a subscription fee. Um, so, so to, to, to use the term, the, the, the term value-based care might get a little confused or diluted. So to shift that to, to a, um, um, a subscription term kind of blends it with a lot of other things that are happening right now, i.e. around technology. You look at that. So you look at, uh, so insurance has a monthly subscription model. I, like, I don't know about you, but my, my insurance payment and my mortgage payment came out of my bank account every month, no matter what was happening in the pandemic. Uh, but providers, uh, fee-for-service world, still largely based on heads and beds, largely uh, uh, based on procedural revenue. 
And then, and then I thought back to, and this is where the shameless book plug comes in. I, I wrote a book, I, this is now about five years ago, it's called Unrest Insured, it's on Amazon, um, uh, that talked about the origins of US, US health insurance. Uh, and and it, was, it was the blue plan, uh, it, was, it was in Texas, it was at Baylor. Uh, and the hospital then, and it's funny, in 1929, there were 7,000 hospitals in the country, uh, 2,000 more than we have today. A lot of them were small, a lot of them were charity, a lot of them, you know, uh, a lot of them, that was an appropriate downsizing. But even back then, Baylor Hospital was having revenue challenges. Uh, they, they were having a hard time paying the bills, paying their staff because of an episodic uh, 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 revenue stream. Or, or, and so, so what did they do? They started a subscription model. Uh, one of the, one of the, um, the administrators had his background with, uh, with a teacher's union, and he, and he went to the teacher's union and said, hey, look, for $6 a year, i.e. 50 cents a month, we will guarantee you coverage for 21 days in the, in the hospital. Um, so, so the very origins of health insurance is a subscription model. That's the very first thing they were looking for. And if you use the language of today, back to 1929, it was a provider organization that started its own payer, that started a per member per month revenue model for a selected population. Dude, that was almost 100 years ago. You know, uh, health systems were looking for a PMPM, a per member per month reimbursement model for a selected for population health. And in the time that, you know, you know, healthcare changed so much, you know, obviously that if you're paying, if you're, if you're paying for inpatient days that incentivize inpatient care and we moved really away from inpatient care and try to do everything outpatient because it's, it's less expensive and it's better. Patients do better outside the hospital. Uh, uh, um, medical coding became codified and really complicated. And there was this divide uh, between the uh, between the payer and the provider, that is that is really, you know, uh, providers just keep charging more, payers keep paying whatever they think it's worth, and there's this tremendous gap in between them. And we've really gotten away from the original intent, which was a subscription model. So if you think of a, a, a payer organization uh, that would come out of 2020 on a pure VBC model, they they kept that revenue, right? They were getting that monthly PMPM revenue, and now they're well positioned to provide care farther down the road and they can see they can make a plan 12 months 18 months 24 months down the road which you can't do if you're running a big hospital on a one percent margin you just you can't think that far down the road and that's one of the biggest that's one of the things that are really slowing down uh, slowing down the progression to value-based care is the inability for a health system to, to look down the road so wrapping that all back in around into one sentence which might be hard to do after that ramble um the uh covid might push us uh, more, more health systems, uh, more provider side um, uh, groups might adopt a, a, a subscription model because they can weather the next storm and they can plan a little farther down down the line. And and our healthcare, the entire history of healthcare in this country has been reactionary anyway, right? We've we've reacted to to certain things that have happened, whether it be, uh, you know, whether it be a lot of the changes came about with the, after World War II with 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 the way we incentivize insurance. Uh, and so so I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see a shift to value-based care, a, 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 an acceleration of that because of desire for that regular recurring revenue or that regular subscription model. And, and, uh, and so that's what the, the Histoc piece uh, was, was all about and, and got some uh, mostly positive reviews. I got a few reviews of, uh, that, were, uh, uh, that were contradictory, let's just call them that. But, uh, but it, it was, a, it was, it's a, it, it was well, and I get it, I was kind of upset. It took me three months to come up with an answer when somebody asked me the question around the first year, so. Hey, sometimes when you when you get that type of feedback too, the, the both the positive and the negative. Sometimes the negative feedback really tells you you're writing something good, or you know, if someone because that's that's 
any anything worth saying is going to have some sort of, you know, say, someone's going to say something on both sides of it. Um, yeah. If you're not getting that, and, I think it's worrisome. <laughs> no, no, totally, totally. And and this has been, you know, the for the first thirty years of Medicare, sixty-five to ninety-five. And again, this is stuff I learned researching the book. Um, the only price controls on Medicare were quote your usual and customary rate unquote. Um, so, so you, whatever you sent in is what they paid. Uh, and, and that became uh, um, uh, codified uh, by the federal government, by CMS, um, and, and the prices pay, paid based upon the codes for certain procedures or certain, certain illnesses. Uh, and, and it's become just painfully political ever since the mid-90s now. Uh, and that's just only going to continue. So I'm not surprised whenever I write something about big shifts in, in healthcare reimbursement models that I, you get some feedback, right? Because it's just a, it's, it's one of the rails, right? It's one of the rails of, of the third rails of this. So. Absolutely. Well, I, I really appreciate uh, you giving us more information about that article. Super helpful. You know, read the article. I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, and it, it honestly, like hearing you actually, you know, hearing your voice talk beyond what you wrote too really helped me because it gave me, you gave me a good picture, but this gave me a really full picture after having the opportunity to speak with you. So thank you for that. Um, and, and just so, just so the audience knows too, it just, cause they're probably wondering, you know, Kevin was on, you're on, the, the goal is to, for us to, to really work together and put together lots more content that really highlights some of the cool things you're doing at Curation Health. And we'll dive into some of, uh, I guess, deeper areas as this kind of goes along. But having you come on, talk about the article, talk about your book and your role what was super helpful. And I, I know the audience will enjoy listening to it. So thank you again so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the next one. Hey everyone, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is building the ecosystem of services and solutions to power the future of healthcare. Through their platform, healthcare professionals and organizations can enter, upload, and share core credentialing documents and information. Professionals and organizations then have the opportunity to use that information to order multiple services and solutions like credentialing, state license registration, certifications, payer enrollment, renewals, and more. On average, the Block Health platform saves users 40 to 60% on credentialing and licensing related costs. Organizations can use Block Health as an extension of their team or as their whole licensing and credentialing team. Today, Block Health works with some of the top healthcare organizations. To learn more about Block Health, please visit www.blockhealth.com. That's B L O C H E A L T H.com and follow them on their social channels at Block Health. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, you can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest.
Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.